of Acts. We still got about <laughs> six months left, I think. Uh, we're, yeah, so, but I, I'm, I'm really, uh, this is one of my favorite sermon series that I've done, I think. Um, so as we're going through the book of Acts, it's been really awesome, really exciting seeing how the early church has been developing. And today, uh, we come to a very, very important text. And we're going to be talking about Apostle Paul, um, at the time referred to as Saul, uh, but as we've been going through uh, the book of Acts, we've been talking mainly about the church and the role of the Holy Spirit. And as you read through the book of Acts, it becomes very obvious and evident that the Holy Spirit is just incredibly actively involved in everything that is happening in the church. Okay, everything that the apostles are doing, uh, the people are responding to the gospel message and, and, and the, 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 the preaching of the apostles, the sharing, everyone selling their possessions, all these things, they're happening only because of the Holy Spirit is moving in the early church. And so we see a lot of exciting things happening and the very rapid development and the growth of the early church. I mean, we're talking thousands people in a day uh, coming to faith um, in Jerusalem happening and we got to a point where uh, persecution was increasing and and finally Stephen one of the deacons gets martyred gets stoned to death and persecution breaks out and church is scattered right we got we got as far as that I think and and um, uh, how the church is now kind of expanding it's going outwardly instead of just staying in Jerusalem at this point in, in our study of the book of Acts, I think, you know, we saw the growth and we saw the persecution happening. The natural question to ask at this point is, what is the church? What is, what is this? What, why is it that it, all of this is happening and why is it growing so fast and, and what's going on? And, and fast forward 2,000 some years and, and to here today right now, why are we here? You know, why are we here uh, and, and, and just, I want you to remember this throughout the message today, that we are a people redeemed who have found new purpose in life through Jesus Christ. It's that we no longer live for ourselves, but for God and for other people, okay? And in the process, we find true fulfillment of our life. Now, so just kind of think of that as, as the overarching theme of the message this morning. As we go into Acts chapter 9 and see what happens right after the persecution breaks out and churches scattered all over the place. Apostles are going to all these different places. Um, and we see uh, a very, very important event, possibly one of the most important events in New Testament. Okay, um, So let's, let's go to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to be reading, it's, it's a little bit lengthy. Uh, we're going to uh, go from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 19. All right, I know it's a little bit long. Bear with me. I'm gonna, we're going to actually read this whole thing. All right. Um, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Okay. Meanwhile, all right, so remember, persecution broke out, and remember, uh, church gets scattered, and we, uh, Pastor Sarah shared about Philip being commanded by the Spirit to go down to the road that leads to Gaza and meets an Ethiopian eunuch, and he receives Christ, and it was divine encounter. We talked about that, right? Um, Meanwhile, meanwhile, all this is happening. Meanwhile, Saul, now remember, this is the guy when they were killing Stephen. They were laying uh, their clothes at him, okay, uh, uh, in front of Saul, okay? So he was kind of authorizing all of this. He was in a place of leadership where he was authorizing the stoning of Stephen. So this guy, same guy, Saul, 
who we uh, know more commonly as Paul. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, talking about the church, the Christians, if he, could, if he finds anybody who are Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going to go out and grab them and bring back to Jerusalem and put them on trial, basically. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. This, he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Not, not that long of a conversation. He sees this and he says, who are you? Jesus says, I'm Jesus, go into the city. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. See, this is really interesting because they hear the sound, they hear what's happening, but they don't see anybody. They did not see anyone. Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He went blind suddenly. He suddenly goes blind after this encounter. So they led him by the hand, so he's helpless at this point, into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat. Up to this point, not a big deal, not eating for three days. Anybody fasted for three days? We talked about fasting once before, right? Three days, you could do it, but didn't drink anything for three days. Okay, if you don't drink, that's when it really, you could die. Okay, you're, oh, we got, we got a doctor here, right? Okay, we got some doctors and nurses here, right? Not eating for three days is you could, you could survive, okay? People do 40-day fasting and, you know, they get extremely emaciated and, and, I mean, maybe they have near-death kind of experience. But not drinking, you can't go that long. Three days without going drinking, that's, but that's what's happening. That's, he's in that state right now. In verse 10 in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And what an unfortunate name, right? <laughs> Common name back then, but Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man, excuse me, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Go find this guy named Saul, and you'll find him praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. See, this is fun. Here, 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've actually heard about this guy. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, stop, just stop talking, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is our text. This is a story where Saul meets Jesus. Saul, Paul, who is responsible for much of the New Testament that we read even today, 
okay? The, much of the reason why churches are doing it the way, doing everything the way they are doing. Because Paul wrote all this. And this Paul, this is a text where Saul, uh, Paul, because I'm, I'm going back and forth with the name, but Paul encounters Jesus Christ in person for the first time. Up until this point, he was going out, killing, rounding up Christians and stoning them and arresting them, putting them on trial, persecuting them. This is the story where he meets Christ, and as a result, we have the rest of the New Testament. This is a very important story. So what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with us? First, God saves even the worst of us. God saves even the worst of us. There's an author by the name of uh, Philip Yancey. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, this author. Um, he, he's written many, many books. I've read several of his books, and they've been very helpful uh, to me, especially when I was in college. Um, and uh, he has a book called uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. Uh, I recommend you guys all read it. Uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. And he, one of the stories he shares in the beginning about the reason why he decided to write this book um, is uh, about his friend. He had a friend who was living in Chicago, and he, this, this friend was uh, just doing ministry in the streets, and he encounters this homeless woman, right, in Chicago. And, uh, and he was just kind of talking to her, and as they begin to sh- talk, she begins to share about her life, and she just begins to sob and cry. And why? Why was she crying? Why was she crying? Because this homeless woman had been prostituting, not herself, but her two-year-old child, <laughs> She was selling her two-year-old baby to men who wanted to have sex with little kids so that she could have money for drugs for herself. This is a homeless woman in Chicago. This is happening in the United States, folks. Okay? Some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? This is, yeah, this is happening. You guys know that uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking is bad. It's happening even in L.A. It's a big problem. Okay? There is a special task force in LAPD. I don't know if you guys know that. That specifically deals with this. All right? Um, and she shares that, look, I am a horrible person. I'm prostituting my two-year-old child so that I could have money for drugs for myself. And he, he is just stunned. This uh, Philip Yancey's friend, and he tells her, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. And you know what she said? She looked right at him and said, church? Why would I go to church? I already feel bad enough as is. I already feel so bad about myself. I already know that I'm a wretched person. I already know that I am a sinner. I know that I'm depraved. I know that I'm a horrible person. Church, why would I go to church? Because I'll tell you why I don't go to church. Because if I go to church, they're going to just make me feel worse about myself. Why would I go to church? And when this friend told Philip Yancey this story, he said, Church has missed the point. If this is how people outside feel about church, if this is how they feel about the, uh, the church, that, they, 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 that these broken people, people who are struggling with different sins and vices in their life, and if, if, if it's these people that feel like church is the last place they want to go because they're going to walk in there, and they're going to point their fingers at them and judge them, they're going to try to stay away from them and condemn them, then why would I go to church? But Philip Yancey realized, in fact, people who felt the most comfortable around Jesus were people like this. 
It wasn't the pastors. It wasn't the priests. It wasn't the elders. It wasn't the deacons. It wasn't the leaders in the church. When Jesus was doing his ministry on earth for three and some years, it was the people like her that Jesus made feel comfortable. Jesus made them feel accepted. Jesus made them feel loved. Jesus made them feel forgiven. Jesus made them feel grace. Jesus made them understand the love of God. And so he began to write this book, What's So Amazing About Grace, talking about the grace of God. And he says the more unrighteous a person was, the more comfortable they felt around Jesus. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with our text? And Paul, Paul wasn't selling people. He wasn't trafficking humans, and he wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't a sinner like she was. Well, see, if you look at the kind of people that Jesus rebuked the most, the kind of people that Jesus had the most problem with, were the people that thought they were righteous, were the people that they thought they had it all together, were the people that thought they could figure things out on their own, that they didn't need saving, they didn't need redemption, they didn't need God's grace. It was, in fact, a person like Paul that needed Christ more than anybody else. You see, up until this point, Saul had been, we read, right, chapter 9, beginning of chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He thought he was doing the righteous thing. He thought he was doing what he was supposed to do. He thought, you know, he was, he was zealous for this, and, and, and he thought himself righteous. And we know this because he shares it in the, in the other letters that he writes in the rest of the New Testament, how righteous he felt he was, how accomplished he felt he was. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 17, through 17, he says this, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Church is, is a place that's to be filled with people who have hurts and pains and blemishes and brokenness and, and sins and just not perfect. Church is not a place for perfect people. Church is not. You know, one of the things that I have a hard time responding is people, oh, because I'm a pastor, you know, whatever, people think, oh, you're so spiritual, you're so, and inside I'm like, oh my gosh, God's going to strike me with lightning any moment. <laughs> you know, every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, I just cringe a little inside. You know, um, and, and I, see, I get why people say that, but man, you know, uh, Stephen Chris Chapman has a song, I totally dated myself. <laughs> Stephen Curry Chapman, a very popular Christian singer uh, from like the 90s, you know. Um, uh, is, if the walls, if these walls speak of the things that they've seen that I do, that I think about, you know, and, and even now I'm starting to get goosebumps because, man, if all of you guys could see, you know, the, my, my thoughts, 
the, you know, my, my sins, things that I struggle with, you know, and, 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 you know, but because people see me here, people see me in certain contexts, they think, oh, you're so spiritual, you're so spiritual, you know, <laughs> Naomi's laughing because she know that ain't the truth, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and I, 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 and I know that about myself, but the temptation is, yes, <laughs> I am spiritual. Yes. Let me speak into your life some wisdom from the Lord. You know? <laughs> but it's these people. It's people like me. It's people who are deacons in our church. People who are on the board, get together in a closed room and make decision, important decisions for our church. Those are the people that need Christ more. But not just them. Not just for the people who don't know that they need Christ. It's people who, that, who know that they need Christ. People who know that they are living in sin, that they need intervention from the Lord. And church is a place for those people. But, but, I want you to think about this, okay? Um, uh, what's the worst thing you want to hear from a doctor? What's the worst thing you want to hear from a doctor? You know, well, I mean, yeah, specific disease, yeah. If you, yeah, you, you, if you doctor tells you, 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 I'm sorry, you have cancer. I mean, that's you know, we, we all of us, uh, most of us, the odds are we have people uh, who have suffered from cancer or other types of disease in our lives, right? Um, uh, I have several people in my life, um, uh, but the, for for myself, the the worst thing, you know, regardless of the disease or sickness or condition or whatever it is, the last thing you want to hear from the, the your doctor, I think, is. Yeah, you have that. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> There's nothing we can do about it. Right? That's not what you want to hear. I don't care what it is. You want to hear something. Well, you know, there is an experiment. Even, even that, I want to hear that. It's not proven. It hasn't been approved. You know, all this stuff. But there is an experimental drug that we could try. I want to just give me that, whatever that is. Okay, whatever the risk may be, I, just let me hear that. Don't, just don't tell me there is nothing you can do. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Can you imagine a hospital? Doctors are the best. They're so nice. The nurses are so friendly. People at the front desk are so welcoming. You know, welcome to our hospital. And you're like, I think this is the place. This is, we found the right hospital. You go in. They're like, they do the checkup, and they, you go into the same doctor, and he's just so nice and kind and friendly, and he says, yeah, you know, we found this thing in your body, and, and, but he's so nice and friendly, and he, 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 he's kind of confirming everything that you've been suspicious, you know, suspecting about yourself. I think I have this, I think, and he's like, yeah, you're right. We did all these tests, and you got that. You have this condition. And then you're like, well, can you help me? Well, I'm just, I'm just telling you that you have it. You know, other people have it. I'm just telling you have it. Yeah, I'm just telling you in a nice way that you have it, that you're broken, that you have this sickness, that your bone has a problem, your, your blood has problems, your heart has problems, your brain has problems, you, you, you have, you mentally you have issues. I'm just telling you these things, and, and, and I love you. I love you. Okay, but what, what about my sickness? Can you fix me? Can you heal me? I don't care how nice the doctors and nurses are. We have people in the medical profession in our church, you know, and they're all super friendly people there. And I don't, but I don't care how nice they are. If they are my doctors or nurses, I don't want to hear them just telling me I got this in a very friendly way. It makes me feel welcomed in their office. No, that's not what I'm looking for. I don't care if they're mean. 
I want them to give me some drugs. I want them to give me something, treatment, plan, something, and fix me. Because that's the hospital I'll go to. I'm not going to go to a hospital where doctors are just nice to me. They can't fix me. God transforms even the worst of us. Even the worst of the sinners, God heals and transforms and changes us. Because you don't want to go to a church, and I say even though it's a place filled with sinners, if it's a place where sinners stay sinners, don't go to that church. If our church is like that, tell me to my face, our church has problems because all the people are coming in and nobody's changing and just leave. I, I wouldn't be offended because that's not a good church. If you go to find a church and all the sinners are being welcomed, that's great. We need to be like that. Our, our church needs to be like that. But if everybody walks in that way, walks out the same way, something is wrong. Something is wrong. What's happened to Paul here? He's so passionate about persecuting Christians that he's taking road trips. <laughs> he's not just, you know, active in Jerusalem in his hometown. He's like, oh, I'm going to travel to get these guys, all right? I'm going to get me some travel papers, and I'm going to get all the, all the authorization I need, and I'm going to get on my horse, and I'm going to travel. I'm going to go to different cities and round up these guys. And then on that road, he meets Jesus Christ. And this was the turning point in, in, in the book of Acts. We're going to hear about this again. And then he talks about this himself again. And, and, the, and it, this was the turning point in his life. He became a completely different person after this. But here's the thing. This process was not easy. He wasn't, you know, on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden, he sees Jesus like, hey, stop, you know, and like, oh, whoa there, you know, calm down, horsey, you know, who are you? And Jesus says, well, I am Jesus, you're, pers you're persecuting, here, let me tell you, come, come, come sit with me, talk to me, you know, that's not how it happened, that's not how it happened. Light came, he went blind, he said, who are you? And for three days, he was blind. He was completely helpless. His people that were traveling had to lead him into the city. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. He was just praying. It was an uneasy process. It wasn't easy, that whole process. Now, for some people, it happens like that. For some people, it, it really does. It happens like that in a matter of day or days or like that they become a completely different person. Some people, it's a long process. Regardless, it's never easy. It's not easy. To confront your own sins, to confront your own weaknesses and shortcomings is never easy. To admit that I have been wrong all this time, that's not easy for me. You know, that's not easy for me. You know, have you ever been in an argument with somebody, uh, usually your spouse, but, you know, whoever it is, and in the middle of the argument, you think you're logical, you're like, and then it's about five minutes into the argument, you realize, oh, shoot, I'm wrong. <laughs> what do you do at that point? What do you do? You're like, ah, la, 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 A and B and C and should be deeper. You realize, oh, man, she's right, it's E. Oh, no. But I don't, I don't show it. I'm like, you know, you know what? I'm so done with this. <laughs> you know, I'm over it. <laughs> you know, uh, forget it. You know, let's just move on. This is, this is we're wasting our time. You know, it's not even important anymore. You know, 
What are we even fighting about? <laughs> you know, um, isn't that like the worst feeling? You realize you're wrong in the middle of the argument. Um, you, you were so convinced, you know, you were going to crush that person with your, you know, perfect logic and examples and evidence and, and, and testimonies and, you know, all this. And you realize, oh, man, I'm so wrong, you know. Um, oh, yeah, they, they know what I'm talking about, Jack and Lydia, right now. They know what I'm talking about, Okay. Um, but we don't, I, you know, I won't admit it. I won't admit it, you know. And I know my wife won't either. She's teaching kids right now. She, she won't admit it. I always tell her, I think we've been married since what, like, we've been married for 15 years, I think. I think I'm not, I'm not, she, I, I could count in one hand the time she said, I am sorry, I was wrong to me. <laughs> less, less than five fingers, I'll just tell you that much. You want to know how many times I've said I'm sorry? <laughs> My toes. <laughs> yeah. But nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. And I'm telling you, women are more proud than men. I'm serious, okay? We think it's the other way around. Believe me, it's, you know. But anyway, I'm, I'm way getting way off track here. <laughs> but, you know, we don't like to, and, and to be confronted and, and, you know, and somebody just grabbing the ugliest junk in my closet and taking it out. I didn't know that he took it out and just shoves it in my face. See, Mike, this is who you are. You think you're holy? You know how many times you looked at women in the gym when you were at 24 Hour Fitness this week? Because <laughs> I went. All of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Don't make me feel like I'm the worst of sinners here, okay? Um, you know? Do you know how many times you cursed in your head, in your mind, when you're driving? And believe me, that is like the worst struggle I have in my life, you know? Driving. I have all these pet peeves about people and the way they drive, you know? And it's like, oh, I might as well just say it, you know? But I think I'm more righteous because I don't actually say it. But my mind is filled with all this filth, you know? You know, what if somebody actually took all that out and laid it out in, in, in you know, what is it, 4K, you know, pixel, whatever, and just put it in front of you. See, Mike, this is who you are. People see you up here and they think you're spiritual. But here, let me show you who you really are. Man. That's not easy. That's not easy. Paul was, was just hit in the face with this reality that, man, I thought I was this, but Jesus comes and, oh, I can't see, I can't eat, I can't drink. And he changes, begins to change, begins to be transformed by this encounter he had with Jesus Christ. And finally, the coolest thing is this, after he saves and begins to transform, the coolest thing is God gives or restores, I think, purpose even to the worst of us. God gives purpose to even to the worst of us. Verse 15, 
But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Forget the details here. What's happening is that God is telling Ananias, Look, I'm going to let Paul know. I'm going to let this guy know. I know you're saying, Whoa, this guy is crazy, God. He's been going around arresting people like me. Why do you want me to go to him? Why do you want to even see him? I, do you kind of hint uh, Jonah there? You know, it's like Nineveh. Oh, they're wicked. They need to burn. Why do you even want to save them? Well, Paul, is like, dude, this is like crazy guy. Like, why do you want me to go and, and, and talk to him about you? Why do you want to go meet him? And God's like, says, shut up, Ananias. Just do what I'm telling you. Just go because I'm going to tell him. I, I'm saving him. I'm transforming. I'm telling him. I'm going to tell him. I want you to tell him. I want you to show him why he lives, the purpose of his existence. For him, it was to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. But that's not the calling for everybody literally to suffer like that. But the point is that God saves and God transforms and God gives you a purpose, restores. I keep saying restore, not gives, because we're all created with a purpose. And we, when we live in sin, we forget that and we think all these other things are the reasons why we live. But when we encounter Jesus Christ, he gives us new meaning. And in fact, it's like saying, no, no, see, this is why I made you. This is why I created you. This is how I designed you, but you've been doing it wrong. Let me tell you how you're supposed to live. Because this is your calling. One of the worst feelings I think anyone can get, I know that it is for me, one of the worst things is, is, is feeling useless. <laughs> right? Have you ever felt that way? And I, I think, you know, the, the, one of the worst uh, insults is not, oh, you're fat or you're ugly, because it's like whatever, you know, yeah. But one of the worst things is, is like saying, you're useless. <sighs> right? If you really want to hurt somebody, don't, but that's what you want to say. You're useless. You're wasting air. You're wasting water. You're, you're a waste of space. I'm pretty good at this, okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, I don't say this. I must think it, you know, <laughs> it's coming up. Um, uh, don't, don't say that because that's one of the worst things you can do to a person. That's one of the worst things you can think about. That's one of the worst, way, most effective ways our enemy, Satan, the devil himself, attacks us. You're useless. Why do you live? Why do you breathe? What's the point? God changes all of that. He says, you're not useless. You are beautiful and wonderful and fearfully made and so intricate and so, you're an awesome creation of mine. And I tell you something else. It's not just to look at. You were designed, you're made with a purpose in mind. You have a purpose. You have a function to serve in this world. In my world that I created. One of the uh, videos that came up on my Facebook feed uh, this week um, is, uh, uh, what was it called? 10 Things You've Been Doing Wrong All Your Life. Have you ever seen one of these video clips? It's really uh, fun, actually. A lot of them are just life hacks, you know, how to tie shoelace the right way. Have you ever 
Most of us have been tying, I found that I was tying my shoes the wrong way, you know, and so I actually changed that, and it is more effective. It doesn't come, you know, undone or anything like that. I was like, wow, like 40 years of my life, you know, and I'm 41, and I'm, I can finally tie my shoes, you know, the right way. Um, but most of them are just life hacks, you know, but a couple things I saw, I thought that was really interesting, was one was uh, one of those milk cartons with the round cap. You know, not the one where you're open. You know what I'm talking about? Actually, the silk soy milk, they have those things, you know. How do you guys pour it, usually? How do you pour it out of the... Yeah, with, the, with the, the opening on the bottom side, right, and you pour it. What happens when you pour it? How does it come out? It goes book, 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 right, right? It's not a smooth just stream of uh, milk or whatever it is, right? You're actually supposed to do it the other way around with the circle on top, and then it comes out. Something to do with air pressure or whatever is, you know, it's the, right? I saw it. It's like, it just comes out very smooth. It's not, you know? It's not like that, you know? I was like, whoa, that's, that's, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, another thing I saw was, and I kind of knew this, but I wanted to share with you because some of you guys are still living in darkness, you know? Uh, those, those foil or saran wrap, you know, you know what I'm talking about in kitchen, right? Um, you know, when you pull it, a lot of times the whole thing, roll comes out and you have to put it back in. You have to hold it in or just, you just kind of give it up altogether. You pull it out like this and then, you, you know. If you look to the side of the, 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 the case, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 so yeah. There are these tabs that you could push in, right? Okay, Alice is looking at me with a very puzzled look <laughs> right now. So I know at least one person will go leave this place a changed woman, okay? Um, there are these tabs on the side. You push it in, break it in, and then that functions as a lock for the roll. So when you roll it out, okay, Eva is apparently new to this as well. It, it keeps the roll in place. So when you, when you roll it out, you know, it, the roll doesn't come out with it, right? Only what you want to pull out, right? Yes, Eva is like, I, next to Jesus, this is like the best thing I ever heard, you know? <laughs> right? Well, why am I telling you all of this, you know? Because you can use something. You could, you could uh, do things a certain way for many, many years, even your entire life, without ever fully realizing that that's not what, how it was designed. You know, in order to find out the true purpose and function of that thing, that item, you know, the best way to uh, find out is actually talk to the designer. Why did you make it this way? Because I think it makes sense the other way, but why did you make it this way? Because well, I'm doing it and it's messy. It doesn't work. It's complicated. Why? And he, he, all he has to do is, see, just turn it this way. That's how you're supposed to pour it, right? You're like, oh. You know, we, we, we jokingly say, brother, it's time to meet your maker. You know, what does that mean? It means, you know, you're going to, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna die. You know, it's time to meet your goal. You know, time to meet your maker. Um, and and I think this is what we're talking about. Paul met his maker that day, you know, and, and realized after three days of, of intense uh, time of prayer and fasting and not even drinking and, and being blind and all these things, he he met his maker and he realized. Oh, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm created for. This is why I'm living. This is why I'll, why I'll walk the earth. This is why I'm here. Because he met his maker. And after that, after this, until he died, he lived his life in light of this purpose, this new calling that he found in meeting Jesus Christ. He saves, he transforms, and he gives us purpose. 
Now, here is a, okay, uh, I'm going to close. This is where usually people come back at me and say, oh, pastor, but that's for pastors. That's for missionaries. I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm not called to be a pastor. Oh, my friend, you're so wrong. (laughs) Um, I agree. Not everyone is going to be a missionary or a pastor. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Okay? God is these things we, we study, and it's not just for people who are going into ministry that are to be impacted and affected by this. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. Sometimes I believe that God will call you out of that vocation. But a lot of times, it's finding out your purpose, where you are in life. And like I said, sometimes that, God's going to turn you right around or take you out of that place. But sometimes you're kind of in, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighbor, wherever you may be, at school, and you've been living a certain style of life, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, but I've been pouring it out the wrong way. This is not how I am supposed to live. This is not what I'm supposed to, this is not what I was designed for. It doesn't mean that we all have the same vocational calling like Paul did, you know, oh, I'm, you're going to suffer for my name, you're going to be a missionary to Gentiles. No. All of us, every single one of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and who now have the hope of eternal life through his resurrection, which we'll be celebrating in a couple Sundays, that we have been created with a calling in the world that, that you are to be a representative of God. You are to be a representative of Jesus Christ in your company, in your home, in your neighborhood, on the freeway when you're driving. Oh, Lord, that's something that really I, I'm struggle with. You know? That's why I don't have Christian stickers on my car because I, you know, I don't want them to see me uh, with the Christian sticker and give them any reason to you know, um, judge the Christians. But you know what? Even there on the freeway, I'm supposed to be a representative for Jesus Christ. In the church, you're supposed to be a representative for Jesus Christ. And God has given you unique calling. We have teachers in our church. We have software engineers, doctors, nurses, entrepreneurs, full-time homemakers. Honestly, I don't know how they do it. Um, my wife, I don't know how she does it. Writers, we got filmmakers. We got, for a small church, we got a very interesting group of people here, okay? And, and a bunch of others that I haven't mentioned. Um, and, and, and there are people in this room who are still trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing with their life. But regardless of your vocation, God has a special calling for you to be a representative of Christ that only you can be wherever you are, that only you can be. We need to go to the Lord in prayer and seek his, his will to know what that is. We need to wrestle with that. Most of us are too. We just pray without